Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I am Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you will hear our passion for the gospel and people's need to hear it, and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. Today, we're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons in our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. Would you tell us where you're located and specifically how this ministry has helped you? We greatly anticipate hearing from you. You can simply send me an email at pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, Let's begin our time today. Holy Father, we ask that you would speak to us today. God, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bear down on them in conviction and they would not reject that. And God, for those of us who who do know you, I pray you shine the light of your conviction in our heart and change us where we need it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know it's winter and we're all praising God that our lawn work is kind of done, right? Um, I am. Thank the Lord for that daily. I don't like the cold, but man, I don't have to mow the lawn. So... Um, you ever, you know, how, how many of you like those dandelions in your lawn, right? Um, kids love to pick those dandelions. They like to pick them, give them to you as, uh, as gifts. But, you know, picking a dandelion like that, just picking the flower, doesn't kill it. You ever pull up a dandelion by its root? You know, those, those things are way down deep. They go very deep. When you pick them, it doesn't kill them because of the root. So the problem with dandelions and the problem with our words have one thing in common. It is the root. It's where it's coming from. Anyone who tries to solve sinful word patterns from the neck up is going to have problems because they're not dealing with the root of the issue. Jesus tells the Pharisees right here that their words have exposed their callous, rebellious heart. And through his warnings to them, he gives us a sobering reminder what our words expose about us. You got your steel toes on today? Um, I might be stepping on toes. So remember here, Jesus is is pushing back against the legalism of the Pharisees. 
and he's challenging their authority. They have just accused Jesus, God in the flesh, of being an agent of Satan. They said he is of the devil. They said all the good things that he has done and all the miracles and all the good things, it's really not about God's work. It's about Satan's work in attempting to deceive people to lead them to hell. That is what they accused Jesus of. Well, words mean something. You know, words not only have definitions that mean stuff, but words are an indicator of something deeper. So when we're thinking about words and what they expose in our life, Jesus begins talking about a sin that is unforgivable. What? There is a there's a sin that is not forgivable? And what do words have to do with that? In fact, let's stop talking about words. Let's just focus in. We might say Jesus Let's just talk about the sin that's unforgivable so I can make sure that I'm not doing that. That's what we're going to attempt to work at today. So let's begin dealing with the question that might be on your mind. What is the unforgivable sin? What is it? Look in verse 31 and 32 again. Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, Any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now I'm going to attempt to link words and the unforgivable sin, because that's what Jesus does here. But um, before we delve into that, I want us to think about what can be forgiven. What can be forgiven? Our God is a forgiving God. Jesus affirms his forgiving nature here. And he reminds us in this passage that forgiveness is available to anyone who wants who wants it, who desires it, if there is a desire for it. He tells us that any sin, any blasphemy, it can be forgiven. Any, He says any word that's spoken against Christ, that can be forgiven. He would graciously forgive that person. Now, that doesn't mean these are not a serious, these aren't serious offenses. Sin and blasphemy and talking against Jesus, they are serious offenses. But we might remember Peter when Jesus was having the worst night of his life where he was going through these false trials and would be crucified, nailed to a cross on the next day by noon, dying. Peter denies even even knowing him. We might remember Paul who said in 1 Timothy 1, 13 and 14 that he was a previous blasphemer. But he said, I did so out of ignorance and God's mercy was poured out upon me. And then he says, and Jesus was sent to forgive sinners just like this. 
Jesus is a forgiving Savior. John says that Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but to to save us, is what he tells us. You can be forgiven. That is the gospel message. The one true God is a forgiving God. If you were trying to list the traits of who God is, what God is like, what God does, forgiveness is going to be on that list. He is a forgiving God. When, you, when, when God himself revealed himself to Moses, it says in Exodus 34, 6, The Lord passed by in front of him, that him is Moses, and he proclaimed, Yahweh, it says, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, and look what it says, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sins. Our God forgives us. He is a forgiving God. It says also, He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. But listen to these other passages and just kind of soak in what God is like. There's not a lot of them, but I want to share some with you. Isaiah 43:25. God is speaking. He says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for, look what it says, for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Micah, in the Old Testament, declares the forgiving nature of God. He says in Micah 7:18, Who is a God like you, who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. Our God forgives. Those are all Old Testament texts talking about the forgiveness and love of God. And the New Testament affirms that over and over again. I won't go through all the New Testament passages because we'd be here all morning, but Ephesians 1, 7, 8, look what it says, In Him, that is Jesus Christ, we have redemption through His blood. And that is defined right here as the forgiveness of our trespasses. according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. Forgiveness is available. Forgiveness is held out as a free gift offered to anyone who would reach out in faith and grab hold of it. That is our God. And that means... But but reaching out in faith, grabbing hold of it, means that we acknowledge we need a Savior. That we confess our sins, repent, and believe in Christ. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What can be forgiven? Anything can be forgiven. If we acknowledge our sin and turn to Christ. Any sin, any blasphemy, any word spoken against the Son can be forgiven, Jesus says. But the question where really it's on our heart is, what cannot be forgiven?
That is the question at hand. Jesus says right here, there is a sin that is so great, it is unforgivable. And throughout history, people have tried to take that word unforgivable and put it on different sins, label different sins as this. Some have said suicide is the unforgivable sin. It is not. Some, have, some act like divorce is the unforgivable sin. It is not. Some think that someone sitting in my pew seat is the unforgivable sin, right? It is, it is not, okay? That is not the unforgivable sin. This context makes it very clear that the unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? What is that? The Greek word that's used there is blasphemia, which means it's a word that wasn't translated into the English. It was transliterated into the English. They just used the Greek word and Englishized it. And, and it means to use abusive and harsh words against authority. In this passage, we see that the Pharisees, they were incredibly frustrated with Jesus. They, in their minds, they saw him harvesting on the Sabbath, breaking the law. They saw him healing a man, breaking the law. And he simply would not submit to their authority. And they were frustrated and they were angry. And they saw him doing these amazing, wonderful signs, these amazing miracles. They heard the good words that were coming out of their mouths. And they said, this is not God doing this. This is not the Holy Spirit. Their hearts were so hard, they said, this is from Satan. They attributed these works to the power of Satan. And when Mark tells this story in his gospel, he makes it clear what they were thinking. Mark 3.29, it says, Jesus says, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And then Mark adds this editorial comment, Because they were saying... He has an unclean spirit. Now, I want to make sure that you're following me here. The sin is not unforgivable because certain words were spoken. It's not that there's this formula of words that if you use these words in a certain order, then it's unforgivable. The issue isn't so much about words. Like Jesus has said throughout Matthew, the issue is the heart. The issue is that they said these words from a willful, stubborn, persistent rebellion against Jesus, who is the only source of salvation. See, Jesus did these undeni- this undeniable miracle, if you might remember, just a couple weeks ago. He did this undeniable miracle. There was a blind, mute man that Jesus healed, and they could not deny that he performed this miracle. Why? Because the blind, deaf, the, the, the blind mute guy could now see and talk and said, Jesus healed me. It's undeniable. And then they could not deny that the Holy Spirit was the one working in Jesus because he cast out the demon. 
And he said, look, your initiates cast out demons by the power of God. What do you think I do that? Remember, a house divided against itself cannot stand. It was undeniable that the Holy Spirit was working through Jesus. And then he did the only a miracle that only the Messiah could do. He opened the eyes of a blind man. It was undeniable that he was the Messiah. It was undeniable that he was from God, that he was working with the, Holy, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that he was, in fact, the Messiah they were waiting for, but they refused to believe it. They said, no, I will not believe. That is the unforgivable sin. They... They refused to believe that he was the Messiah. And they were hardening their heart more and more. And they attributed the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan that brought them into further opposition to Christ, who was the only source of salvation in the world. Look in Acts 4.12. There is salvation In no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Hear me today. If you reject Jesus as the only source of salvation, you cannot be forgiven and you cannot be saved. There is only one way to the Father, one way to have forgiveness of sins, one way to have salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. You reject Him, you will not be forgiven. If you're sitting here now and you sense the Holy Spirit and His conviction to draw men to Himself, and you harden your heart to the work of the Spirit and say, I sense that conviction, but I refuse to believe. I will not come to Christ. You cannot be forgiven. You cannot be saved. You must repent, confess, believe in Christ. The rejection is the unforgivable sin. And there's consequences to this sin. Jesus says, It shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. That means there's consequences here and now for rejecting Jesus. And if you die in the state of rejecting Jesus, there are eternal consequences that will happen. You must Trust Christ. So no matter what some spiritual leader has told you, no matter what philosophy you have developed for yourself, you are not in relationship with God until you've surrendered to Christ. Until you've confessed that you're a sinner, you've turned from your life, turned away from it, and turned toward God and embraced Him by faith. Um, bringing Him into your life as Lord and King, until you have done that, you are not forgiven. 
You are not saved from your sin and you are not saved from death. One commentator put it this way. Permanent refutation leads to permanent condemnation. I'll say it again. Permanent refutation leads to permanent condemnation. Every time you hear the good news, person here hearing me that doesn't believe Christ, every time you hear the good news of salvation and you reject it and you will not refute you will not accept Christ as your Lord and King, then your heart grows harder. And your heart grows harder every time you reject it. And you come closer and closer to committing the unforgivable sin. And if you were to die in that state of, unforgi- of rejecting Christ, you will not be forgiven. And you'll spend eternity with the wrath of God poured out upon you. But while you're alive, while you have breath in your lungs... You can, you can trust in Christ. And you can turn. And I urge you to do that today. See, we've just read Exodus 34 that said, God is a forgiving God, and He is a loving God, and He's a patient God. But that same verse that says that says, He will not let the guilty go unpunished. And a lot of times we think very lightly of our sin. I haven't done that much wrong, we might say. I can, I can get away with a little bit because, because it's just a little bit of sin. David Platt told a story about a guy by the name of Azim who was an Arab Christian. And he was talking to a taxi driver while in this foreign country. And he was talking to the taxi driver and the taxi driver said, I just got a little bit of sin. I'm going to go to hell. I'll pay for my sin for a little bit and then I'll go to heaven after that. That's how he believed things were paid for. After all, he said, I hadn't done, I haven't done too many bad things. So David Smith, or sorry, David, (laughs) David Platt, David Platt said, not, I'm sorry, let me say this again. Azim, this is the one story. Azim told this taxi driver, if I slap you in the face, what would you do to me? He says, well, I'll throw you out of my cab. He says, okay, if I slapped, if, you, if I got out of the cab and walked to someone on the street and slapped him, what would he do to me? They said, well, he'd gather his friends and they would beat you up. He says, what if I went to a police officer and I slapped him in the face? He says, well, in this country you'll get beat up and then you'll be thrown in jail. He says, what if I went to the king of this country and slapped him in the face? The taxi driver kind of nervously chuckled and said, you would die. And then he began to understand that he had been severely underestimating the seriousness of his sin against God. That little things that we might consider little, someone slapping us against the face, result in the greater majesty and the greater holiness. It's... It's incredibly serious. If you think that God is not at all concerned with your sin, you are sorely mistaken. God is a forgiving and a loving God, but God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. 
And when you reject the offer of salvation over and over and over, you're coming closer and closer to committing the unforgivable sin. Listen, no one here is guaranteed the end of the day. Life is short. Life is fragile. And if you die in the state rejecting the gracious and free offer of forgiveness that Christ holds out to you, and you die in that state rejecting it, your sins will not be forgiven, you'll not be saved, and you'll spend an eternity in hell. person who doesn't know Christ, trust in Him today. Now, guys, those of us who have trusted in Christ... For those who have confessed that you're a sinner and we need a Savior, we've turned from our old life, turned toward Christ. Those who have said, Jesus is the King of every aspect of my life, you can be rest assured you cannot commit the unforgivable sin. Amen? All right, that's good news, right? You, believer, cannot commit an unforgivable sin because the unforgivable sin is rejecting Christ. A heart that's so hard that it spews out junk. We're going to talk about the word aspect here in a minute. It's so hard that it, it, does, it will reject the free offer of salvation. But a believer has said, I believe I, I, I've received Christ by grace through faith. It was only Jesus' enemies here who rebelliously refused to profess Him as the chosen one from God who was at risk of committing this sin for which there's no forgiveness. So when we think about what our words expose, which is the theme of the sermon today, Jesus warns us about this sin that cannot be forgiven, and that's because of this. The words, our words, expose our heart. Our words expose our heart. See, the Pharisees' blasphemy of the Holy Spirit revealed the condition of their heart. The unforgivable sin really wasn't about what was said. Like I said, it wasn't some formula of words. It was about uncovering a spiritual condition that was deep inside, underneath the words. And guys, the words we speak reveal our hearts. Jesus teaches them this principle by giving a short parable. He simply says this, A tree is known by its fruit. Look in verse 33 and 35. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. A good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And an evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Don't you you love how Jesus just simplifies things? Fruit trees. We get fruit trees, right? I mean, you walk by a tree that's got some pears hanging from it. You don't have to wonder what kind of tree it is. You know what we're dealing with, right? You sit under a tree that's got pears hanging or peaches hanging from it. And you you know what you're dealing with here. This is a peach tree. We know that. 
a tree is known by its fruit. Simple, easy concept. And I think as we're reading this here, Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying that he is the tree. To these Pharisees, he's saying, I'm the tree. Either make the tree good, and it's fruit good, or the tree's bad, and the fruit's bad. And he's saying, it's, it's as if he's saying this, decide now which it is, Pharisees. He says, either I am a good tree with good fruit, or I am a bad tree with bad fruit, but you need to choose right now which one I am. Either I am the Messiah from God doing God's work, or I am a liar and I'm from Satan doing Satan's work. Choose now which one it is. Because remember, there's no neutrality in Christ. There's no spiritual Switzerland's, right? You, you, you must choose one way or the other. Right before this passage in, in verse 30, and in fact some of your Bibles include verse 30 with this passage, he says, you're either for me or you're against me. You either gather with me or you scatter. There's no neutrality. There's no middle ground. You either believe Jesus is good and he's good, he has good fruit, he's the Messiah, he's from God, and what he says I must listen to, or you are rejecting him, saying he has got bad fruit, that he's a liar and from Satan. That is the point. And so you too must also decide today. Was Jesus God in the flesh and the only source of salvation? Or was Jesus a liar? He says, look, inspect my fruit. What do you think? What do you think's going on here? And in the fact, and then he moves from this issue of trees to the issue of snakes. He calls them a brood of vipers that could be better understood as you offsprings of, of serpents. Or if you wanted to be like, you know, street or something, you can call them sons of snakes. Doesn't that just sound mean? That's what he's saying. You're a bunch of sons of snakes. He says you can't produce anything good. All you can produce is what snakes can produce, venom. Because there's no good in you, is what he told the Pharisees. Their hearts were so hardened because they rejected and rejected. They couldn't say anything good. All they could do was say words of abuse and harsh language against the Holy Spirit, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And then he moves from trees, he moves to snakes, and then he finally talks about what is deep down in a person. What is deep down in a person that is what comes out. Remember where we're at in the book of Matthew. Matthew 6.21 says, Jesus says, Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And when the biblical writers talk about the heart, they are not talking about the center of emotions only. The heart in, in the biblical mindset was the essence of the person. It was the center of emotions, the center of the intellect, center of the will. It was the very core of the person. It was the essence of who you are. And he says, where your treasure is, 
That's where the essence of who you are is. That the core of who you are reflects what you treasure. And Matthew 6 says there, so it says, what you treasure reflects your core. Now I'm moving from preaching to meddling. Right? What do we value? Because what we value reflects what's here inside of us, who we truly are. And then here in Matthew, it says that that treasure is deep inside of us. And that reflects, that treasure reflects who we are at our core. And the good man reaches down into the core of who they are and they pull from that treasure. And because he is good, that is, he has received the righteousness of Christ, righteousness comes out. But the evil man who treasures something other than Christ reaches deep down into him and pulls out evil and evil just spews out of him. Snakes, trees, treasures, they all point to the same thing. A tree is known by its fruit and a man is known by his words. What do your words tell the world about who you are at your core? Jesus tells us that a tree is known by its fruit, and that's to teach us that our words reveal our heart. And that means then, if a tree is known by its fruit, we must inspect our fruit. We must look at our words. Jesus wants the Pharisees to pay careful attention here as he brings his thoughts to a close. He says, but I tell you, in verse 36, that's a strong phrase. Jesus is saying this, you had better listen to me right here. We're to take what he says next very, very seriously. Why? Why are our words so important? Why must we inspect our words, be careful of our words? Number one, because we will answer for every careless word. Ouch! Right? Jesus in verse 36 says this, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Jesus warns that we're going to give an account for every careless word we speak. As one who speaks all the time, that scares me. James 3 says, Not many of you should long to be teachers, because they're going to be hold and stricter judgment. Because we say lots of words. And the word accounting here is like uh, accounting, like settling up a debt. It's almost like this picture, that every careless word that we speak, every harsh word, everything that comes out of our mouth, it goes into, we go into spiritual debt. And one day we're going to stand before the Father with that debt on our hands and saying I can't pay it back I thank the Lord for Christ's forgiveness but I still have this debt so to speak so what is a careless word what is a careless word listen to how these words 
as I read through the commentaries, they said, careless word means this, it means this, it means this. They had lots of different thoughts. See if you hear any of these and if they describe words that you have spoken. They said, negative, unfruitful, ineffective, thoughtless, useless, worthless. I'm ashamed about how many of those describe my words this last week. Maybe even today. When we say something without any thought of how it will affect on others, it's not only damaging to others, it shows who we are at our core. It shows what's going on in the deepest part of us. And it's creating the spiritual debt, so to speak. That's an illustration. I'm not saying that's the case, but it, but it does say we're going to have to give an account for those words. But in Christ, it can be different. Praise the Lord, right? In Christ, it can be different. Look in Ephesians 4.29. It says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do your words build up or do your words tear down? Do your words give grace to the person or do the words grieve the person? See, we must inspect our fruit. That is, we need to be careful of our words because Jesus, the judge, says we're going to give an accounting for every word. And second, he said that we'll be judged in accordance with our words. Look in verse 37. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I want to be clear here. Our words don't save us, okay? Our words are not what give us salvation. It's only the blood of Jesus that justifies us, But once we've truly surrendered to Jesus, then the core of who we are has been transformed from the inside out. All old things have passed away. All things have become new, the Scripture tells us. Who we are in our essence has changed. And when the core of who we are is changed... Then Matthew 6 says our treasure has changed. What we value has changed. And when we reach down to our treasure to speak, we will speak the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus says that our hearts are justified or condemned in a way that agrees with, with how we speak. If you can't say amen, you can at least say ouch, right? Our words reflect the essence of who we are. And on the last judgment day, our words will provide irrefutable evidence if we have been truly transformed by Christ or if we've stood in rebellion against Christ. 
because it reflects, our words reflect what's going on inside of us. If Christ truly transformed us, our words should reflect that. Now, this is not telling us to work hard to control your tongue so that we can gain salvation. What Jesus is making sure that we understand is that when we have given our life over to Jesus as king, that means every little bit of ourselves, including this little destructive thing in our mouth called the tongue, that Paul says is a fire. It's, it's this it's this incredible spark that can set an entire forest aflame. And when Jesus is our king, that is under his lordship. Our words reveal our heart. And so what do your words teach about the level of surrender in your life? In 2007, there was a Science Magazine article about... A, a research uh, done, some research done by the University of Arizona. And the University of Arizona took 396 college students, put some sort of device on them that recorded them every 12 and a half minutes to count how many words they speak. And that, that study says that on average... We all speak about 16,000 words a day. Now, this fable that women speak 20,000 and men speak 10,000 and women speak twice as much because the women speak twice as much because the men don't listen the first time, so they got to double everything. That, that's not true. We all, we all speak 16,000 words a day. What do your words say about you, who you are, and who your Savior is. 16,000 words a day. Each day we're given this blank slate, and we can fill our day up with 16,000 words. What are your words going to reveal about you and your relationship with Jesus? If we speak 16,000 words a day, that means we speak 5,840 thousand words a year. What will your words at the end of the year, what would those sum up to be? What would, it, would your year of words expose about your heart? Are your words critical about everything and everyone? Or are your words covered with the grace of Jesus? Do your words reflect the love of the lost that we're supposed to have? Or do they reflect judgment of those who are different than us? Do your words build up or do your words tear down? I'm going to have you bow your heads and think about this. James said, if anyone could master the tongue, they'd be perfect which means all of us here, and I'm first in line, we got to work on this. Do your words show that you've been transformed by Jesus Christ from the inside out? Or do your words come close to committing the unforgivable sin?
a tree is known by its fruit. A person is known by his or her words. What do your words teach others about who you are and your relationship with Christ? Maybe today you need to ask, Holy Spirit, take control of my tongue. Help me reflect the Holy Spirit in my life. I give my tongue to you. Maybe today you need to confess that you're a sinner. Repent of your old life. Turn to the Lord and reach out in faith to accept the free gift of salvation. Do you need to trust Jesus today for salvation and forgiveness of sin and avoid the unforgivable sin? Heavenly Father, I come to you. God, you know our hearts. You know that those who have trusted in you are saved. They're covered with your blood. And God, we want our lives to reflect that. And our words, our tongue, it's so easy to get out of, out of control. We take it back from you and say things we don't mean. We say harsh things. We use curse words. We're harsh against others. God, forgive us. Bring us revival in that area. Let us be known individually and as a church that speaks your grace to all. And God, if there's somebody here today who's never trusted in you, they've rejected the gospel over and over again, and for the first time they heard today maybe, that that is unforgivable. You cannot die rejecting Christ and expect eternal life. And God, maybe that person today has felt the Holy Spirit lean upon them, drawing them to you. And God, I pray that they would stop rejecting, reach out and grab you in faith. That they would be transformed, God. And maybe even now they need to say, along with me, God, I am a sinner. I confess that I do not meet your standard of perfection. And I need a Savior. I believe Jesus Christ died for my sins. He rose again to sit on the right hand with you. And is now ruling from heaven. And I want him to rule in my life. Forgive me and save me. And God, if there's someone who doesn't know you, they prayed that prayer with me. The scripture says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God, I pray that they would sense that you have forgiven them and have saved them and transformed them from the inside out. God, work right now in a way that only you can work. Move among us and change us for the way that you want us changed. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. 
Our services start at 10.45 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.